Blog Talk Radio. It's the morning drive with Doug Kelly. Yeah, crank up the radio. Roll America. There's a job to be done. Are you guys as excited as I am? Let's roll America. There's a battle to be won. I want to welcome you to rehabilitation. Wake up, America. This is where I stay tuned to find out what's happening. Now here's Doug. And where we are as far as the, uh, uh, you know, the campaign, uh, Hillary Clinton is more or less on the offensive now when it comes to um, being more defiant about the, the Gmail scandal, the Benghazi situation and all of that. And we'll see what Neil has to say about it, because after all, it is, uh, you know, we're getting to that point in the Democratic uh, primary is, uh, well, not primary, but the debate is rapidly approaching us and uh anyway we'll see what uh, neil has to say about it as uh, we bring him on with us here and uh neil hope you can hear me and uh good to have you on the show this morning sir. hey good morning doug really, hey, glad, morning, to doug. really glad to be with you yeah i thought we would try this because uh you know people have been uh asking from time to time to do something uh on the internet and of course i've got my iDoug radio channel so i thought we would uh we would try to see how it goes. It's always great, you know, getting your thoughts on things. And um, let me let me ask you about the because uh, I was on with Jimmy Lakey just a little while ago in Fort Collins, and uh, his big question is about Trump getting out of the race at some point here because he doesn't think he's going to last. And then uh, who's going to be next? What about Rubio? Is he a compromised candidate with the establishment and maybe some of the the Tea Party types or not? Well, Rubio is a very interesting candidate because. He does have that sort of uh, Tea Party pedigree. The both the Florida and the National Republican leadership worked against him when he was running for Senate six years ago. And so, I think that uh, you know he's got that. He has two things to overcome. Well, three things to overcome. Number one, his disastrous State of the Union response with. Uh, holding up his finger as if he could stop a live telecast while he took a glass of water. That was crazy. The second thing is his support of the Charlie Schumer amnesty bill that went through the Senate, and that burned a lot of bridges and surprised a lot of people. And then the third thing, of course, is that, you know, he looks like he's 12 years old. And, you know, he's very, he's very well-spoken. He's funny. He's smart. I don't know if he has executive capabilities, uh, you know, but that's the kind of thing we look for in an older guy. It's sort of like you remember when Dan Quayle ran for vice president, he was 47 years old. This 47-year-old man was being called the kid, but that's what it's like in politics. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right about that. I think uh, he does have an issue about the, the way he, he looks so young, even though um, he's certainly as old as Obama was, I guess, when he when he won election the first time. But at the same time, too, it is this amnesty problem, right? I mean, he he was in favor of amnesty a couple of uh, years ago here, and uh, that that could hurt him in the long run. 
And he hired a bunch of people who are associated with Jeb Bush and the Bush family and uh, George W. Bush's White House to be a part of that immigration push. And so, you know, I guess the fourth problem, it's one that uh, Donald Trump seems to really be obsessed with, is the fact that, you know, Marco Rubio was a mentee of Jeb Bush, a protege. And so by any, by I guess any measure of gentlemanly honor, he should not be running against, running for president against Jeb Bush because Jeb Bush basically was you know, the guy who sort of took him under his wing. But one of the things that probably annoyed uh, Garubio is the fact it was all those Bush guys who told him amnesty was the way to go. Yeah, uh, again, that, that's, that's one of the reasons I think a lot of my conservative friends are not, not big on him. But I, I do see the, you know, the fact he can't appeal in, in part to both, both the cases. If Trump gets out of the race, Neil, does Ted Cruz, is he sort of the benefactor of all of this, you think? Cruz, Cruz is running a great campaign, uh, 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 just a fantastic campaign. And he has some very smart people working for him. He, he has picked up people from a number of different Senate offices, and he continues to hire some very bright people. Uh, it seems like every week here in D.C., the different meetings that I go to, I look around and I say, uh, hey, where's so-and-so? And they say, well, he's, uh, he's now working for Cruz. I mean, he's still hiring people. The money seems to be there, and he just sort of grinds it out. I, I'm not convinced that Trump gets out of the race, though. I mean, this... I don't know why you would get out of the race. Scott Walker got out of the race because he was he couldn't raise money and he had to pay his staff. And so, you know, if Rand Paul gets out of the race, it's because he can't raise the money. That's the only reason you don't be, you know, I mean, being a presidential candidate is a great way to spend your day. Why would you why would you step off that Ferris wheel if you didn't have to? Yeah, he did an interview where he said uh that if he gets out of the race, it's going to be an awful boring race. I, I, I can see that that's probably true. I think that the reason that I asked the question, though, is because there's so many people who seem to think, okay, you know, the, the flirtation is great. Um, we understand where you're coming from as far as, uh, you know, why you don't uh, want some of these, these other guys. But at the same time, you're going you're gonna to come down and eventually go for the people with experience. You're not going to go for these uh, – individuals who have no you know political experience i think that's that's i don't necessarily agree with that but i think that's the theme right or that's maybe the thinking that's going on well uh, unless you become a more substantial professional candidate and so his tax plan has been reviewed he brought in grover norquist to look at his tax plan before he released it and ba- i i don't know what kind of input grover had but Grover told me it's a good plan. You know, uh, Mark Levin and other people have said it's a good plan. So all of a sudden, you have some very serious people saying, wow, this tax plan makes some sense. He released his uh, position paper on gun rights and the Second Amendment, and it was fantastic. And when, uh, it, you know, when they asked him for a reaction uh, regarding the Oregon uh, uh, Community College shooting, he, he gave – the answer that you would expect from someone who supports gun rights saying, Hey, you know, it's a big country. There's shootings all over the, you know, it's a, in a country of 300 million people, these things are going to happen. His, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll go back to, uh, 
when he released that tax plan, he did it at the same uh, – for people who don't understand where he has these uh, press events and all these interviews, he basically – in the basement of Trump Tower in Manhattan, there's a super large cafeteria with these giant escalators. And being the brilliant marketer that he is, he has many, many, many of his press events in this cafeteria at the bottom of Trump Tower. This is the same building that has uh, Tiffany's in, by the way. And, and so he's giving this interview in front of the, the big gold escalators. I mean, his, uh, his tax plan. And I'm watching him, and I notice he's reading his lines. Somebody had prepared a speech, and he was referring to it, and he was reading what was on paper given to him. This is a new discipline for Trump. This is, yeah. you know, this is a guy who's in for the long haul. Why would he get out? He's got his own plane. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think people are underestimating him. And to be honest about it, Neil, I think they've underestimated him from the beginning. Well, after the, uh, after the John McCain uh, yeah. you know, controversy, I, I, just was, I just said to myself, there's no way he gets out. And we've seen this. You know, Mark Sanford, when he was the governor of South Carolina, said he wasn't going to resign and he was able to ride out his term. And now he's a congressman from South Carolina. Uh, Bill Bennett, I guess, used to talk about sort of the end of shame in America. Well, part of the end of shame is, you know, when the media and the liberals create these sort of false controversies, not everybody falls for it. And Trump is like... You know, I'm not going to just because you and your nattering nabobs are going after me, nabobs or other are going after me. I'm not getting out. I mean, because basically the bottom line is either you have the money to run for president or you don't. I mean, that's really, you know, and people, you know, money is free speech. And so there you have it. Yeah, I think I think part of what it is, is that uh, people think, you know, Trump will just get bored with this. You know, this isn't uh, this isn't his thing, um, and so that he won't really, you know, stay with it. I think that's part of it. They think he'll get bored. Unless, of course, this is something that he's wanted to do mm-hmm. for the, at least the last 30 years of his life. And I know... Well, he, he said something the other day, answering a, sure. an interview, Neil, where he said uh, he didn't want to get into this, but the country's going to hell. He had no choice. I think he actually believes that. Sure. I mean, the guy, the guy walked onto the stage because Ed Koch couldn't figure out how to build a pool, a skating rink in Central Park. Nobody had really heard of Trump side of the New York business community. And he, he stroked a check and just paid for it and just said, do it, fix it, make a skating, a skating rink. And he shared the limelight with Koch. But it was sort of like, you know, this is the first time we heard about a guy named Donald Trump. And, you know, he's been with us ever since. And I really believe that in 2012, he was considering a run for president. He he released some of his financials. He wrote a book where he uh, talked about sort of what he wanted to do with America. And it was kind of there for him. And I think at the last minute, he looked at a guy like Mitt Romney, and he thought that Mitt Romney had the qualities and the background, you know, whereas he 
you know, he said, all right, I'll, I will not get in the way of Mitt Romney. And certainly Mitt Romney had a great financial uh, economic team, had a great uh, uh, financial, uh, excuse me, foreign, uh, foreign relations team. The problem, of course, with Mitt Romney was Mitt Romney. And so there's nothing you could do to cure that. Yeah, you got to want to win also. That's part of the part of the issue. You've got well, to Well, I mean, the guy to... the guy says crazy things, right? Doug, he's so he's, not to relive the past, <laughs> but you know, it's like in October, a month before the election, he tells me the press, "Well, nobody said we were going to repeal Obamacare. I mean, there's some things about it right. I like." Well, hey, what are we doing here? Right, exactly. I, I the thing was that a lot of us I think wondered the commitment that whether Mitt Romney really Wanted to win. The other thing, Neil, is people in Romney did this too. Um, talk about what a nice guy. I'm sure Obama's a nice guy. He's just over his head kind of thing. I'm not so sure about that at all. I personally, I don't take the opinion that Obama's a nice guy, and I, I think uh, his policies are very destructive. You saw his news conference the other day where he, um, you know, he, he does not seem to even have any understanding that he's caused this problem in Syria, right? I mean. And, and he doesn't have a problem with Russia and Iran being big players in the Middle East. I mean, how is that possible, really? I think Maureen Dowd nailed it when she said that the guy's from Mars. He he doesn't interact well with other people. Uh, you know, it's uh, you see how he interacts with uh, with Michelle when the White House photographer isn't there. Those sort of candid shots that they get of the two of them. Um, I believe he's a very, uh, very icy guy, and I, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's he's cruel or mean personally. I just think that he doesn't he doesn't even care about other people. He's certainly deaf to the suffering of people, uh, with the suffering of the Iraqis that he abandoned, or the Syrians that he made promises to, or the Iranians who rose up against their leaders, uh, or even the small business owners. I mean. You know, someone. I'm I'm asking somebody listening right now. Think about a a favorite steakhouse or or store in your town, or maybe you used to go to in New York or some other city, and think about all the restaurants and stores and great businesses that have closed in the last two years because of Obamacare. And he doesn't he doesn't care, and he just sort of he just moves forward. It's um, it's really really yeah, bizarre. That we're stuck with Neil, this it's guy. Kind of like somebody who really thinks that if they say something, that's the new reality. You know, uh, uh, if he says Obamacare is a good thing, then it must be a good thing. If he says uh, the economy is doing well, despite all the, the statistics showing that it's still very sluggish, uh, then it's doing very well. Uh, if he thinks that um, America being less involved in the Middle East is a good thing, it must be a good thing. It doesn't matter what the real facts are. Yeah, this is what the uh, defense analysts used to refer to as sort of like Soviet thinking. And one of the problems is that, you know, at the end, you know, the Soviet Union would come out with its five-year plan and the Soviet Union would say, we're going to produce this amount of wheat. We're going to have this many tractors, this many tons of steel. And if, if you said that doesn't make sense, you're, you're a reactionary and they'd throw you in jail. And so what happened is in the, in the end of the, by the end of the Soviet Union, if the Soviet, if the government said it, it was true. And so when this is, uh, some people have theorized that when Reagan said we're going to build a uh, strategic defense initiative to knock out Soviet missiles, I mean this thing wasn't even close. They, they hadn't even drawn up the plan. But because Reagan said it, 
in the Soviet mind, it was true, and so we got to cut a deal. <laughs> well, you think, too, about uh, the, the destruction or the, the damage that's being done really to um, not only the, the presence of U.S. around the world, but also really the, the respect or lack of respect we're getting. But more importantly, Putin is becoming a bigger player in the Middle East. I mean, Iran, one of our, our great enemies, guy has been uh, – you know, negotiating with Iran for a couple of years. Now they're probably going to be able to get a nuclear device if they don't have one already. And, and he's allowing to become a bigger player in that region. That, this this is going to be something that's going to take decades to deal with, I think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's terrible. I, I, it doesn't make sense unless you flip the whole proposition upside down. And if you consider that maybe he believes that the problem in the world is the United States. And if you take the United States off the world stage, the world becomes a better place. Maybe if he believes that the Iranians are actually good and noble people, well, then what's the problem with them? Like, why wouldn't they? It's like, why wouldn't they have a nuke? What, what, What are they going to do? If you believe that Israel is an evil presence in the Middle East... What would you do differently than Obama? Nothing. Yeah, that's yeah. his program. Yeah, and that's why I think he can stand up there and talk about how you know uh, things are, are working, and we welcome Russia and Iran to, to be a player in the Middle East. Which really, I, I have to tell you, that scares me. I think uh, we know that's not a good thing. Russia, uh, in previous uh, incarnations known as the Soviet Union, wanted to be the big player in the Middle East, right? I mean. There's a lot of oil in the Middle East. There's a lot of reasons to, uh, to want to be a big player there. And it shows the U.S. moves away, becomes uh, you know uh, less important, and all of a sudden somebody's going to fill the void. Right, and of course Russia is hurting right now because of the fall in oil prices and because of the sanctions that uh, put on them. And so it looks like they're set up to make money in two ways uh, – Somehow they need to raise the price of oil and also through selling arms. And both of those things can be accomplished by becoming a bigger player in the Middle East, especially if you're going to start selling weapons to the Iranians who are now flush with cash. And then with your, you know, by securing that that port that they have in Syria, I mean, it, it seems like everything is lining up for Russia. But Obama just doesn't seem to care because it's he 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 operates with these blinders, and he just you know he focuses on one thing, the destruction of coal, and so everything he can possibly do to destroy coal, he will do, and it doesn't it doesn't matter. The coal workers. Do you think he, yeah. Do you think he ahead. really believes this idea that climate change, Neil, is the biggest threat to America or the the rest of the world versus maybe some of the you know, the, the political events and uh, military events around the world. I mean, do you think he really believes that? No. I mean, I, I, you know, there are probably some people around who believe it. This is just, you know, it's just whatever story they need to come up with. I mean, you know, the space program, program for all that it's done and all that it's given us, right, we probably would have invented Tang anyway. But just to say <laughs> – you know, the Democrats looked at the defense budget and they said, how can we spend that much money, employ that many people and build big things without 
being provocative to the Soviet Union. Let's have a space race. And so we'll and so then the Democrats could then vote for big, you know, so Lockheed and Boeing and, you know, Hughes and all of the big contractors could get, you know, so Democrats could vote for big kind of defense pork without actually voting for a defense budget. Um, they just this is just the latest scam. I mean, think of the money that they've been able to just, you know, it's just, it's insane. So Lindra, this, this show opened with Solyndra, $500 million just thrown into the fire, right? Nobody goes to jail. Nobody loses their job. It's like, whatever. And it's like, they actually, people, the, the Obama administration actually goes on the attack about people who go after Solyndra and the program that created Solyndra just keeps going, you know, and it's like, I wrote a story uh, for human events about this company called sun power. You know, they got a one, the company's going out of business out of the blue. They get a $1.2 billion loan guarantee. And all of a sudden the insiders can cash out $20 million in their options that were completely underwater. And, And what did they need the money for? Well, they need, part of the money went for a solar panel plant that they're building in Mexico. But because of the free trade agreement, everything built in Mexico can be can be labeled made in America, made in USA. But then, of course, <laughs> you know, the kicker is that the solar panels aren't actually made in Mexico. Sun Power had them made in China, but they basically hired these Mexicans to turn a final screw and put them in a box. And that's the, that was the extent of their being made in Mexico. So basically everybody's making a ton of money. <laughs> We're buying solar panels from, from, from China that are laundered through Mexico. Nobody, it's like, I, it was a pretty big story. A bunch of people covered it, but the program goes on. Nobody changes the program. Certainly the Republicans fully fund it. It's like, you know, so what, whether he believes in it or not, everybody's getting a ham sandwich and having a good time. Well, that's amazing. Okay, we got a few minutes left. Let's talk about uh, uh, since the last time you and I chatted, the uh, the shooting in Oregon, and the president came yeah. out immediately uh, before he knew any real facts uh, going on there. Uh, said uh, he'd be accused of politicizing the shooting, and then he said it should be politicized, and he's going to politicize it. What do you think of this? Um, uh, it, it, I know it's predictable, you know, from those on the left about gun control and everything. And you used to write for the, you know, the Guns and Patriots newsletter for human events. I mean, what do you make of this argument? Uh, is there any gun law that you out there proposed that you know about that would have stopped any of these mass shootings? Well, no. I mean, and, and that's sort of the problem when you're dealing with a criminal mind a criminal is going to figure out how to uh, rob a bank. A criminal is going to figure out how to forge a document. A criminal is going to figure out all sorts of things. That's, that's the point. And so you have a choice. If you live in a free society, what you do is you, you, you give your citizens freedom. And then if they break the law, they're severely and quickly punished. If you don't want a free society, you pre-punish your citizens and restrict their freedom so they can't anything. And then, and so that's sort of the direction we're going. 
and that's sort of the problem is that when you're restricting people's freedoms, you're sort of pre-punishing crimes. Well, then the criminals figure out a way to do it anyway. Then people are even more surprised because they were promised that this place was going to be safe. You told me that this was a gun-free zone. You told me in Oregon that if we passed this new background law and we made greater restrictions on gun rights, that this would never happen. So how is it that Michael Bloomberg can spend whatever, whatever he spent, $10 million, to pass a new law in Oregon to restrict gun freedoms, and then less than a year later, there's, there's a terrible shooting at a community college? Which, you know, and, and I heard, and I, I haven't verified this, but I'll irresponsibly pass it on, that one of the three servicemen, one of the three servicemen who uh, was involved in stopping that terrorist attack on the train in France, attended that school, supposed to be in that class that day, but because he was doing a Dancing with the Stars, he wasn't in the class. And so there are people, I don't know if this is underground and if people verify it, uh, it'll come above ground, but I'll just, you know, I'll be crazy and irresponsible and say that That's all right. this it's could have been, and, we do. Yeah. you know, and so what are you going to do about that, Obama? Because you yeah. told me, you told me in your convention speech in 2012 that Al Qaeda was dead and then. You know, and then we had, and then they blew up our our compound in Benghazi and killed our ambassador to Libya. You told me that the ISIS was uh, the JV, and we shouldn't worry about them. Meanwhile, they're capturing Mosul and Ramadi and Fallujah, and the only reason he even went after ISIS is that they started. The Iranians thought they were coming towards Iran, and so as soon as they started to threaten the Iranians. You know, they remember they were two miles outside of Baghdad. Remember, ISIS was on the march on Baghdad, and the Iranians flipped out. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Obama's bombing Iraq and sending in uh, advisors. So here it goes. Now I, I digress. Yeah, he's been, been wrong on too many things. I think it's, it's always interesting that he'll make this sort of rhetorical discussion that, you know, well, Russia, they're going to be on the wrong side of history. ISIS is going to be on the wrong side of history. You know, the, the winners get to write history. That's that's what I've learned over the years. Well, sure. I mean, it's the friends of Peter who wrote the Gospels. Judas's friends, you know, <laughs> they made him out. You know, Peter betrayed our Lord, but yeah, he becomes the first pope. You know, if I was a Judas guy, I'd be like, hey, what did my guy do that Peter didn't do? <laughs> I think we'll leave but that discussion like, you know, for yeah. But, you know, it's a, you know Peter's friends wrote the Bible, and so there you have it. There, you, That's right. It's, it's from your point of view. Always the winner gets the right to history. Neil, but thank I will you, say sir. again, Doug, hold on. Yeah. Hillary Clinton will not be president of the United States. I told you that a year and a right. half ago, and I just want to repeat it. Well, I needed some uh, something to feel good about. Uh, thank you, sir. Glad <laughs> uh, to be with you, man. All right, America One News Network. Uh, thank you, Neil. We really appreciate you being on with us here this morning. And uh, also, we'll uh, be archiving this at blogtalkradio.com, the iDug Radio channel, blogtalkradio.com. Uh, it'll be archived and uh, up there for those to listen to in just a short period of time. And, of course, always uh, the uh, live channel at iDugRadio.com. My Twitter feed, if you'd like to join me there, is um, uh, at iDugRadio. Uh, website is idugradio.com. 
And the direct line to IDUG Radio is actually IDUG Radio, the number one, IDUGRadio1.com to uh, listen to um, the uh, IDUG Radio channel. All right, that's it. Thank you, Neil McCabe of America One News Network. I'm Doug Kellett. We'll talk again real soon.